Good morning again. Uh, This morning, we are going to be looking at Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. So go ahead and turn there. Before we get into it, um, I mentioned a few weeks ago when we were looking at Galatians 5, 13 through 15, how I had looked uh, so forward to uh, preaching that text. Look forward to us focusing on loving our neighbor as ourselves. And the text today certainly has some overlaps to that, loving others, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, however, I do not feel the same about the text today as I did weeks ago. Uh, quite honestly, if I could have skipped a text in Galatians, it would have been this text I would have skipped. So I'm going to be honest with you in that. This is very uncomfortable for me. I don't like talking about this topic. Um, you can ask the other elders. I don't want to be a part of any conversation about this, um, but here we are. So uh, I'm sure there are some selfish reasons for that, okay? I feel uncomfortable because I fear man, um, but I don't ever want someone to think I'm doing this for money. Um, also, I will admit to you there are wounds attached to this topic. Not just for me, I'm sure uh, for you as well, where you have been in situations or known situations where pastors uh, have seemed to be clamoring for money. And so it's a difficult text. Um, And so I want to say a few things to you to get into the text. First is this. This is exactly why we do expository verse-by-verse preaching through books of the Bible. Um, It keeps me from skipping the things that I don't want to preach on, okay? Um, And so the Lord saw this as important enough to put in the scriptures, and therefore... um, we're going to cover it as we go through this. Um, whether I want to talk about it or not, it's here, and verse by verse is a safeguard against picking and choosing the things that I want to talk about and the things that I don't necessarily want to talk about. Second is this. Um, if you're newer to the church, uh, this is very important as it relates to this topic um, today. I don't know what anyone gives to Cornerstone. Uh, I have never known, I will never know, I don't see any numbers except the totals uh, that come in at the end. That's all I ever see. Uh, You could have come here for over a decade and given zero dollars or come here over a decade and given more money than anyone else. I have zero idea. I don't want to know. Uh, I don't ever want to um, think or respond to a person that comes to this church Uh, in a way that is reflective of uh, what they did or didn't give. And so that's, um, I do not know. Third, uh, I'm going to teach the text um, as it is written and for the purpose it was written. That means I will be uncomfortable at times, I will be anxious at times, but only because I don't want you to hear me saying something that I'm not saying. I'm not teaching this text as a reprimand. I am so grateful. I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful for how this body has loved me. So I can teach this as a person who feels very loved by the household of faith 
that he is a part of. And just to give you an example, the office coming back from vacation and the office being completely renovated, that is an expression of love that is overwhelming. Uh, Five years ago yesterday, coming back from vacation and finding out that people had broken into my home and completely renovated my bathroom. I mean, unreal the ways that this body has, has loved me. You think I'm joking. I really, I mean, I got a call from my neighbor while I was in Florida. Hey, there's people in your driveway. I think the person house-sitting is having a party. Like, she's, she's probably fine. She's probably okay. So with all of that, let's read the text and work through it. And and as we're getting into it, I want to say thank you for loving me. Galatians 6, beginning with verse 6. Go ahead and stand and follow along. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for how you have entrusted it to us and revealed your heart to us through it. And I pray that you'd help today as we come to this text, Lord. I praise you for the gift that this body is to me and I know to each other. I pray that you would help us to reflect more and more to one another the gospel of grace. And that you be glorified through us in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now just, just as in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which we will look at briefly later, Paul never mentions the word money in this text. But it is obvious what he's talking about. This text is about giving, not exclusively money, but certainly includes it. Paul assumes here that there will be teachers in the church whose task is to teach the Word of God. There's a need for teaching. Careful teaching of Scripture in the body of Christ. It's important for followers of Jesus to learn how to think Christianly, and that doesn't happen by accident. N.T. Wright on this text uh, writes, this may be countercultural, but for Christian formation, there could not be a higher priority than the work of teaching. And for that, proper financial provision has to be made. Developing a well-formed Christian mind is the essential lifeblood of the whole church. You consider the circumstances in Galatia that Paul's writing to, rival teachers coming in and leading the people away from the one true gospel. That's the, that's the whole point of this letter is to address that. 
So there needs to be teaching that is faithful to the gospel. Someone or more than one need to be freed up to focus on studying and teaching the one true gospel to counter these rival teachers who are in Galatia, to guard against people being led astray, to call them back to the truth. Paul speaks to this in other places as well, 1 Corinthians 9.14, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He writes to the Philippians in Philippians 4, beginning with verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, be, to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It was very kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs at once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then 1 Timothy 5.17, again, Paul writing to Timothy, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. We find this example in the New Testament that teachers worked likely full-time in their ministry so that they could study and teach effectively. Teachers in the church are called to expound God's word. That word taught and teacher both come from the same word that we get the word catechism from. It refers to the fundamentals of faith. Paul writes again to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The pastor or teacher is called to teach the truths of Scripture. There's a responsibility of the pastor. There's also responsibilities the Scripture teaches us of those who receive the word through teaching. They should seek to learn the truth of the gospel and what those truths mean for life. I love Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So another part of receiving the word is considering what is true, holding fast to what is true, but also seeking out the truth. Is what you are hearing accurate to God's word, to what he says? I will say this to you every time this text comes up. Don't just believe something because I say it. 
just because I have printed papers and a Bible open and I say something to you, don't just assume that I'm right. And don't just believe it because someone else taught you something different in the past or even now. Examine the scriptures to see if what I'm saying or anyone else is saying is true. And also those who receive the word are called to share all good things with the one who teaches. That's what Paul is saying here in Galatians. Paul is urging the church, the body here, to support teachers materially, whether it's food or money or whatever good things are appropriate for the teacher's welfare. Now these words, you have to imagine, must have come as a massive relief to those teachers in Galatia. They're desperately trying to teach the truth or being neglected by those who are now following these rival teachers. Now, someone might hear this today and think, yeah, but Paul says that, but he, he, he left us a better example by not taking a salary or money from the church. And so I want to reply to that. I think first I would say this. I don't know of a pastor who would say they wouldn't gladly give up their salary if they could. I would definitely do that. But also, that statement is not totally true about Paul. Yes, sometimes he didn't take money from a congregation so that they wouldn't think he was doing it for the money, so that there'd be no stumbling block for the gospel of Jesus Christ going forward. We know from the book of Acts that Paul worked as a tent maker to provide for his needs, which is good. He made an income that way so that he could preach and share the gospel without taking from others. 1 Thessalonians 2.9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. It's a wonderful picture. But we also know that he accepted money from some churches to meet his needs. 2 Corinthians 11, 7 through 12. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. If the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim that of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. Now, in all of this, there is a, there's a need here to guard against abuse. David Platt writes here, ministers must avoid laziness. Since ministers are often unsupervised most of the day, the temptation is to not work very hard. That is not living above reproach. Ministers must also avoid greed. 
Resist the love of money. Ministers must also never fall prey to ministerial professionalism. Not to be confused with excellence, this temptation is to treat your vocation like any other career. Clock in, clock out. No passion, no desperate prayer, no deep love for people, but all the while serving with a pasted smile and pious words. That is ministerial professionalism, and ministers must avoid it. These are temptations, abuses even. But we must strive to obey the Scriptures as we avoid the abuse. He continues, verses 7 and 8, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul gives this warning here. Some people may think that they can go without serious teaching and come out unscathed as Jesus followers, and those people are fooling themselves. God is not mocked, he says. We all need to be taught the truths of the one true gospel. God has built this principle into the world that we will reap what we sow. We see this even more clearly in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Now, I think, honestly, it, it's impossible not to read the entire text as we consider what Paul is saying in Galatians 6, but I'm going to encourage you to read it. Read all of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 at some point this week. And I'm going to highlight a few things from there. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 7, it says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their ex extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us accordingly, we urged Titus that as he, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And we all know that we are called to continue to grow, to seek sanctification throughout our lives, that there's no part of this living on earth where we're going to get to a place where we say, all done. Okay, I have reached exactly what the Bible has called me to reach in my spiritual walk, and I can rest easy now until Jesus returns. There's no point in our lives where we're ever going to get to that place. We're called to seek sanctification in faith, in speech, and in knowledge, and earnestness, and in love. I don't think anyone would argue with that. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, that just as we seek growth and to continue to excel in the grace of those things that we're to seek to excel in the act of gracious giving as well. That throughout our lives, we should continue to seek to grow in this grace. 
He then points to Jesus as our example and how we are to give in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 13 and 14. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. The NIV translates that word fairness as equality. 2 Corinthians 8.24, so give proof, give evidence before the churches of your love and our boasting about you to these men. And then lastly, 2 Corinthians 9.6-8, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Galatians 6 again, verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. One either sows to the flesh or sows to the spirit. And those who sow to the flesh demonstrate that they belong to this present evil age, Paul is saying. Those who sow to the spirit demonstrate that they're part of the new creation and will receive eternal life. And so sowing to the flesh here means using worldly goods for one's own advantage according to selfish desires. That doesn't mean Paul is, is saying that you can't have a house, that you can't go out to eat, that you can't take vacations or drive the car you desire. He's not saying that at all. This is about what you're sowing into. I think 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 is so helpful here. Paul says there to Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. In our thought process on giving, we don't ever want to take one text and let that define our doctrine of giving. So yes, there is an encounter with Jesus and a good, uh, uh, Jesus and a rich young ruler, and Jesus says to him, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. We don't want to just take that one story and say, well, that now, that must be Jesus' rule and doctrine for anyone who is rich. No, we take the whole of Scripture. And there's beauty in this text. For those who are rich, Paul affirms, God has given us everything to 
enjoyed. But how do we think of those things that he has entrusted to us to enjoy? We want to hold them with an open hand. We want to share them willingly. We want to give often. So I don't think the poverty gospel is the answer where people say you have to give everything away. And I don't think the prosperity gospel is the answer either. But there's a balance in in there where we're sowing into the things of the Spirit with what the Lord has entrusted to us, knowing that He does give us things in this life to enjoy. That that's a part of His grace. It's an expression of His love to us. That expression, those who sow to the Spirit, then is similar to walking in the Spirit or being led by the Spirit or keeping in step with the Spirit. Having this heart and mindset of, Lord, you've entrusted these things to me as a steward, and I want the Spirit to lead me in how I use them. Verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Doing good here isn't a change of direction. There's a harvest that comes from doing good. And it indicates here the use of one's resources for the help of others. Followers of Jesus are to be known as benevolent. Whenever opportunity arises, or, or as it says, as we have the opportunity, every Christian can become discouraged in doing good works. We all can. And so Paul's urging them here, keep going. Continue to love one another well. Don't become faint-hearted in doing what's right. Don't become faint-hearted in doing good. Keep giving and keep giving to alleviate the suffering or meet the needs of others. And at the right time, he says, a time that only God knows, you will reap a reward. Those who follow Jesus should be marked by practical goodness, by benevolence. How and who is my neighbor? We should be marked by this. We must love our neighbor as ourselves. And we talked about last week and before, that means everyone. That means loving our enemies those we disagree with politically, those we stumble across along the way. If possible, Paul says, if possible, we live peaceably with all and we don't become Levites and priests who cross to the other side of the street when we see someone suffering. And then particularly, we are to pay careful attention to those in the household of faith. That's what Paul is saying at the end of the text here. That expression, the household of faith, is one of the earliest technical terms for the church. We are family. We are a family. And how does a family act toward one another in love? We care for needs that come up. We don't grow weary in doing good. 
Love your neighbor sincerely. And Paul's saying pay special attention to ways you can do good to those within the body of Christ, to one another. We're going to move into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together. As we do that, we remember the body and blood of Jesus. And it's important to remember and understand that this call to give that we see in the text, the call that we see here is a call to embrace the ways of Jesus. Jesus gave himself so that we might become rich. We were in poverty and he came and gave himself for us. That's 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We give as a reflection of the grace of Jesus, and that giving was ultimately displayed on the cross. His body was literally broken. His blood literally poured out for the forgiveness of of our sins. He gave everything. And as we prepare to take the bread and the cup, let's remember, just as he calls us to, his life and the gift of his life for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace to us, Lord. You're so gracious to us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love for us that's so clearly displayed through Jesus on the cross. I pray that you'd help today, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to be a people who submit to you and to your word. Lord, you, you know my heart in this, how little I like talking about this. So even where there is error, Lord, pray, Father, that you would correct. Pray that you would be our guide in this, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.